0: Ready to live at the higher vibrations, where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw.
1: Hi there, it's Robin Openshaw, and welcome back to Vibe. I am getting ready to leave on my three weeks in Switzerland, where I take Green Smoothie Girl followers To do a liver detox. Some people stay for a week, some people stay for two weeks, but I've been going there for eight years now. I was on um, a research tour for three and a half years. Every chance I could get a week or two or three weeks to go to several different clinics. I was researching to write a book on non-toxic cancer treatment worldwide. Didn't actually write the book and not because I'm not a finisher. Usually I finish my projects. That's a whole other subject. I basically found that um, there are a lot of practitioners doing good work to help cancer patients heal, but I couldn't really prove it very well. I couldn't really prove it except with anecdotal evidence. And uh, plus these these businesses kind of go in and out of, you know, even being in business and what kind of work they do. It's hard for them to run a business treating people with other modalities besides chemotherapy and radiation, which is a bit of a monopoly here in America, and not because it works so well, not because it's so effective and helpful to people, but just because, Uh, pharmaceutical companies that produce chemotherapy are very, very powerful inside all of our medical institutions. And it's just what our oncologists are trained in. So I was wondering what people do to heal after chemo and radiation. And I was wondering what people do who would rather die than do chemo and radiation. And there are more and more people like that. We've all seen folks go through chemo and many people would say that the cure is worse than the disease and they'd just rather opt out. So it's not that they'd really rather die. It's that they want to seek alternative care that will rebuild their immune system and detoxify them from whatever chemical agents, stresses on the body caused the cancer in the first place. And so lots of people doing good work all over the world didn't write the book. That's actually a whole side tangent, but you know, we have three weeks the whole place is booked. The whole place is sold out. I'm there for three weeks. My dear friend, Dr. Tom O'Brien does three weeks of liver detoxes right after me. His sold out in two days when we told his audience about it. So I'll be posting about it. I'll be there from June 17th through July 8th. If you're listening to this during that window, I'm sure you can see me post about it on the Green Smoothie Girl page and my own personal page a little bit too on Facebook. Uh, But today I am interviewing a very interesting researcher and advocate for human beings and the planet. His name is Jeffrey Smith, and he's the founder of the Institute for Responsible Technology. And he's been educating people for 22 years about the health dangers of genetically modified organisms. There are a lot of genetically modified foods out there and he's been teaching us how to speak up, how to have a voice, how to know which foods are genetically modified, how to avoid them. So he was named 2017's person of the year by Masters of Health magazine. So he's put together a brand new summit. It's called Healing from GMOs and a little bit different from his prior work where he teaches us how to avoid GMO foods and products. This particular series is where he interviews 18 experts about how can people heal from their exposure to glyphosate and Roundup and and genetically modified foods. Those two issues can't really be pulled apart very well because genetically modified foods are actually gene spliced to be Roundup ready. And so they are all sort of part and parcel of the same issue. So for sure, sign up to participate in his free summit. It'll be airing for free for a week in July, but you wanna get your seat in the summit right now. You can sign up at greensmoothygirl.com. Slash GMO Summit. That's greensmoothiegirl.com slash GMO Summit. So, welcome to the Vibe Show, Jeffrey
0: Smith. Thank you.
1: I am so excited to ask you all these questions today because I feel like GMOs are a subject that are on people's radars. I haven't told you that one of my most watched videos has gotten literally millions of views we'll make sure that that video is in the show notes where I talk about how we have to vote with our dollars because our government isn't protecting us very well. And that video had millions of views. It's had tens of thousands of shares. And I feel like there are a small minority of people who are very clued in to the impact of genetically modified foods and plants in general on our health. But I want to go deep with you today about this issue. Talk a little bit about how bad are GMOs
0: really for our health? Well, that's an excellent question, and I have new data that is really eye-opening. Um, we, I, I've been telling people about the dangers of GMOs for 22 years, and people would come up to me uh, early on and say, I can tell the difference. If I eat a GMO, I can feel it, and I was skeptical. Uh, even though I was aware that rats could have major damage to their organs in just 10 days, I was somehow convinced that the effects on humans would be more of a background trend in disease rates, but not something that people would actually be able to feel. And in 2006, I started introducing physicians to the documented health risks of GMOs by speaking at medical conferences, and they started prescribing non-GMO diets to their patients. And then in, in, in 2009, I went to a conference where I had spoken each year. Uh, environmental medicine conference, and I started interviewing the doctors, and I was shocked that they were saying that their patients were all getting better, and uh, from GMOs, reacted more, they had bigger allergic reactions on GMOs, there was inflammation with GMOs, and that they could see the difference, and their patients could see the difference, and one doctor said, I prescribed non-GMO diets to everyone, and they all get better, and I was skeptical, and I said, well, what percentage? She said, I said everyone, 100%. Okay, 98% have improvement. And I said, how many patients have you prescribed it to? And she calculated for about a minute or two and then looked up and said, about 5,000. So I went to her clinic and started interviewing the patients. And sure enough, the, the results were incredible. So soon after, I started asking audiences that I was speaking at over 150 lectures, including medical conferences, what have you noticed or you've noticed in yourself or your patients when there was a switch to non-GMO and largely organic? And it was overwhelming, the, vast, the largest response was always uh, gastrointestinal and digestive improvement. Then there was increased energy and reduced brain fog and there was loss of weight and, and there was allergies and autism and kidney problems and diabetes. I mean, it was all across the board. <laughs> so we surveyed 3,256 people through the Institute for Responsible Technology subscription list and I asked, which diseases or disorders did you notice changed when you switched to a non-GMO diet? And there were 28 different conditions, and it matched exactly the kind of conditions that we heard when we asked audiences at 150 lectures. So um, right now there is is anecdotal evidence, which when you build it up, it becomes data. But then if you look at the livestock that were switched to non-GMO feed, they get better in many of the same diseases and disorders as do pets. And if you look at the animal feeding studies, where the lab animals were force-fed GMOs, or the Roundup herbicide that's sprayed on most GMOs, they suffer from either these disorders or their precursors. And then if you look at the specific modes of action of GMOs and the Roundup herbicide, and in some cases the BT toxin, which is the toxin-created by certain corn varieties, you could predict these problems.
1: Okay, so can we really separate the GMO issue from the Roundup issue? Roundup being glyphosate, which I think 20 20 million tons of it have now been sprayed on crops worldwide. Some countries are slowing down their you know willingness to let their farmers spray it. I know Europe has some initiatives and they just voted again in the last year and I think very, very narrowly uh, kept limits on roundup here in the. US. We're in love with it though we spray it on everything. We spray it twice on wheat. Are GMO crops always sprayed with roundup? How do you separate those two issues? And which one is the worst one if that's even a valuable question at all?
0: It's an excellent question. And it's a question that has bugged scientists for years. Um, there was an attempt to identify the differences by Dr. Seralini. And I interviewed Dr. Seralini in the upcoming series, Healing from GMOs and Roundup. Um, and he took a genetically engineered Roundup-ready corn, which is engineered to be sprayed with Roundup. I'll say that there are six Types of GMO crops that are specifically engineered to be sprayed with Roundup. Soy, corn, cotton, canola, sugar beets, and alfalfa. And he took the GM Roundup-ready corn, and he fed it to rats over a period of two years, and they had multiple massive tumors, early death, organ damage. Now, the corn... Was sprayed with Roundup, so it was a combination, and you couldn't tell. So he did two other. Well, actually, did more than two, but he did other experimental groups. One ate the Roundup-ready corn that had never been sprayed with Roundup, and another group had Roundup in their water, but not any GMO corn. It turns out that the groups that had either the corn alone or the Roundup alone also had multiple massive tumors, early death, and organ damage. So individually and together they created this massive destruction of the health of these rats. Uh, Now, if you look at the data of what Roundup does, there's a lot more evidence. There's a lot more research. Unfortunately, GMOs were put on the market in the United States without any required safety testing by the FDA. That was because Lonsanto's former attorney, Michael Taylor, was in charge of policy at the FDA. And after he gave a green light to GMOs without testing or labeling, he became Monsanto's vice president and then went back under the Obama administration to be in charge of food safety for the United States. Very ironic and very tragic. But we not—we don't have sufficient testing. Uh, we know that from an early test in the 1990s, simply the process of genetic engineering itself caused massive collateral damage, in the, caused massive damage in the, in the DNA, which can increase allergens, toxins, new diseases, and nutritional problems. And rats that were fed these genetically engineered potatoes had potentially precancerous cell growth in the digestive tract, smaller brains, livers, and testicles, partial atrophy of the liver, damaged immune system in 10 days. And it was the generic process of genetic engineering that was responsible. But Roundup has so much more evidence. And if you look at it, it's absolutely devastating. Roundup, the full formulation and glyphosate the so-called active ingredient. I say so-called because there are other ingredients in Roundup that are thousand times more toxic than glyphosate itself and Roundup can be 125 times more toxic than glyphosate itself. But if you look at the research and I think you'll appreciate when I give you a list of what it does, it was declared by the World Health Organization as a probable human carcinogen but also is a definite carcinogen for animals. It is a mineral chelator, meaning it blocks the absorption and use of minerals by the body, which can shut down key metabolic pathways. It is a patented antibiotic that preferentially kills the beneficial bacteria, not the nasty stuff. It's been shown to create gaps between the walls of the cells, leaky gut, leaky brain, other things. It is a... it. It suppresses the digestive enzymes, it damages the microvilli, which are the digestive fingers along the intestines. Um, It is a mitochondrial toxin, and it also can create birth defects, and at higher doses is an endocrine disruptor. And so we see a tremendous amount of disruption in the body at all these fundamental levels. And if you track about 30 different diseases, That are and their prevalence in the United States, and you track it against either GMOs or the amount of Roundup or glyphosate-based herbicides sprayed on GMO soy and corn, there is a remarkable parallel between the disease rise and the use of GMOs or Roundup. And we we know that correlation does not mean causation, but when you have all the other pieces in place, the the probable or Are likely causative factors, the the effects on lab animals, pets, livestock, and humans, then we, we think that actually GMOs and Roundup may be responsible for sickness in the tens of millions or hundreds of millions of people around the earth. It's just absolutely devastating.
1: I think the animal studies are really important because you might say when it comes to humans that if we're you know, educated and we are very specifically only purchasing products that we know to be non-GMO, we are also buying products that were tailored to people who care about their health and are willing to pay a little bit more. And so we are also opting out of the Roundup and probably a lot of other sprayed pesticides because they're like to be herbicides um, because... Then we're also getting organic, and we're also going to have those products have a lot less chemical additives because they know their audience. They're not they're not aiming for you know the people who are buying the Cheerios in the Kro- in the Kroger store or the Walmart. And so the animal studies where e- it's easier to isolate that this is this is actually the genetically modified food that's causing the problem. Do you agree with that?
0: Yes, and the issue is with most of the GMO studies, they compare um, feeding animals with GMOs or Roundup to lab laboratory animals that are eating standard rat chow or mouse chow. And the chow, which is the standard laboratory ration has GMOs in it and it has Roundup in it and heavy metals. So there has been, and this actually works in favor of the biotech companies because it masks the problems. So when, um, Dr. Cerullini, uh showed that there was massive number of tumors in 80 or 90 percent of his rats compared to about 10 percent in the control group. The biotech industry said, "Well, actually, those rats typically get 80 or 90 percent of, uh, or 80 percent tumor rate." And so, if you don't compare it to your controls, but you compare it to historical controls, which is a non-scientific uh, mishmash. Then we should then there's no problem at all. But Sarah Lee pointed out that his control group ate a diet that was specifically designed to exclude GMOs and Roundup. And all of the other historical controls were the rats that ate GMOs and Roundup. So that's why they had 88% of tumor rates. So even though the peer-reviewed studies are supposed to isolate, the way that they're done typically is not that clear. Um, but you also mentioned about avoiding GMOs and the things that we normally get. I want to point out, and you said, you know, it's sprayed on wheat. Wheat is not genetically engineered. It's been crossbred to carry certain characteristics, but it hasn't had genes inserted into its DNA like the other uh, 11 GMO crops. Um, but it's sprayed with Roundup just before harvest to dry it down as a desiccant, as it are oats and barley and rye and basically the cereals and the grains like lentils, and also a lot of fruits and vegetables, you know, p- potatoes, uh, sugarcane. So Roundup is used a lot in agriculture. And so we recommend not just going non-GMO, but going organic, because organic does not allow GMO or Roundup or the other toxic synthetic chemicals.
1: Okay. I'm always explaining to people that wheat is highly hybridized. And, you know, the wheat you buy might have been hybridized, you know, 200 different times, but it's a different issue. It's a different issue than genetically modified foods. So let's just run through those again. You said them very quickly. Uh, I think a lot of people who are educated about health and wellness know that corn and soy are the vast majority of it grown in the US is genetically modified, which is where we're getting most of our corn and soy. So unless it says non-GMO, unless it says, or organic, it is, you can assume that it is genetically modified because the vast majority of it is. So corn, soybeans, sugar beets, alfalfa, keep going. Um, Cotton,
0: which is used for cottonseed oil. Um, And by the way, since that's sprayed with glyphosate, cotton products often have glyphosate residues, including tampons. Canola. Those are the six main GMOs. Then you have the minor GMOs, which include papaya from Hawaii or China, some zucchini, some yellow squash, a small amount of apples and potatoes that are designed not to brown when cut so that they can be pre cut and not brown. And those may be even more dangerous than anything we have seen so far. Then there's also the milk, meat, and eggs from animals that have been fed. GMOs and so if it doesn't say organic or one hundred percent grass fed, then it may be and likely fed gMOs and even with the grass fed, we want to make sure that the alfalfa is not is not planted on that grass um, so those are the the basic GMOs there's also genetically engineered bovine growth hormone, which is injected into some dairy cows. Most American dairies have on their labels that they don't use. It, they, don't, they don't use artificial hormones or RBST or RBGH. They all mean the same thing. So these are the things. And we have a, a website, Non-GMO Shopping Guide, to help people find products that are non-GMO. But as I said, the, the number one recommendation is to buy organic. And if you can't buy organic, then at least buy non-GMO. Okay, because...
1: I think people are confused by the labels. I want to ask you how you feel about the non-GMO project and if you feel that that's become really bureaucratized and political, is it is it meaningful? Do you think it's a great organization? And does it so if it's organic, it is also non-GMO. If it's if it's non-GMO, it is not necessarily also organic, correct?
0: That's important important distinction. So you can buy a non-GMO loaf of bread, which has glyphosate residues because the wheat may be sprayed with Roundup, but it may not contain any soy, corn, et cetera. Or if it does contain soy or corn, then they have verified that the system is set up to exclude GMOs and is working pretty well. So where you have, the non-GMO project has a very, very good organization in terms of a great standard that's being worked on and refined all the time. It has tremendous buy-in from the natural products industry and now more and more from the mainstream companies. And it really has been a fantastic facilitator for the shift to non-GMO and the tipping point, which is now underway, where companies are more and more removing GMOs. Now, when you look at organic, organic does not allow the intentional use of GMOs, but the organic standards do not require testing to see if contamination has occurred the non-gmo project however does require testing if there are at-risk ingredients in the product if there are one of the 11 gmo crops and they also look at you know gmo enzymes and cooking agents etc so if you have something that's organic and non-gmo project verified that's really the gold standard because it has the prohibitions of organic, and if there's an at-risk ingredient, it's also been tested. And just to be clear, whether it's organic or non-GMO project verified or both, it still may contain trace amounts of GMOs because that's the nature of nature to cross-pollinate and spread. The non-GMO project has a 0.9% threshold. Um, so it's not a 100% guarantee, but if you see something that's So my my rule of thumb is this. If you see the same product, organic and non-GMO project verified, two different products on the shelf, then I would choose the organic. But if you see another product that is both, that's the gold standard because then you have the testing piece as well.
1: So we should mention here that Jeffrey Smith is coming out with a new series called Healing from GMOs where he has interviewed 18 experts on a little bit different than what he's been doing for the last 22 years, where he's teaching people how to avoid them um, and how to send a message to those who make the decisions that we don't want them. But now he's talking about how to heal from the effect of the fact that the vast majority of us have eaten a lot of genetically modified foods. And so we're suffering from many, many conditions that are probably... At least caused in part, if not completely by eating GMOs, it's called healing from GMOs. You can sign up for it right now. It's going to go live. And it'll be free for a short time in July. But you can sign up for it now at greensmoothiegirl.com/slash GMO Summit. So make sure you sign up for that because I think there are a lot of issues around this whole debate about GMOs where Monsanto and the biotech industry has spent a lot of money courting uh, our policymakers all the way up, all the way up to our president uh, here in the US. And so you want to understand these. These issues. You want to be able to talk about these. I would love to have an army of folks who follow Green Smoothie Girl who can talk intelligently with friends about why to avoid genetically modified foods in the first place and products. Because, you know, we're wearing, if we're wearing cotton clothes that aren't organic, we are absorbing uh, Roundup and we have some of the same exact issues from clothes that we wear and sheets that we sleep on. So, lots of issues here to understand. 18 experts interviewed on this summit. So again, it's com slash GMO Summit. What are some of the things that you learned from these 18 experts? You mentioned Dr. Saralini. You have interviewed a lot of other very high profile or deep researched experts. What are some of the things that you learned that
0: were really amazing? I was actually blown away. I mean, I was not expect. I, I've been doing this for 22 years. I've traveled to 45 countries. I've given a thousand lectures and have done a thousand interviews and written books and made movies. And I really feel like I know a lot about this subject. But it, and when people ask me what more can I do besides avoiding GMOs, I would always say it's above my pay grade. I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a doctor. Uh, let and and I would just basically defer, say see your doctor, see someone else. But I actually. Because of all my work, I, I pulled together the world's leading experts, or some many of them. And uh is an example. He's the top researcher in the world on GMOs and Roundup. And one of the things he did was to test certain herbal combinations on human cells to see how it detoxed glyphosate. And it turns out he was able to verify some of the practices of indigenous people about adding herbs at a certain time in the preparation, but not too many because if it's too many, the cell does not actually detox. It actually um, deals with the too many of the herbs. So that was fascinating that he was able to verify some of the indigenous wisdom. And we have, um, you know, we have David Sandoval, who and, and a formulator uh, who figured out how to create a product to help pull the glyphosate out of the tissues and remove it from the body. And they did a preclinical trial and found 74% of the glyphosate in the urine was reduced by 74%. So the amount of glyphosate in the urine was reduced even without changing the diet. We had Zach Bush from Restore who um, has a mind-blowing set of two, two uh, life-changing interviews where he completely... Rewrites our understanding of health and the microbiome, and how 50 million year old soil has these carbon snowflakes created from ancient microorganisms that help intercellular communication and the binding of the gut. Um, it goes on and on. We have uh, Joe Mercola, Josh Axe, Lee Cowden. Um, I was blown away by Dietrich Klinghart, who, had, who he found something really interesting. He said that the people who are the sickest in his clinic have no glyphosate in the urine until he, until he does the glyphosate detox protocol. Because what's happening is their body is not releasing the glyphosate uh, as effectively, and so you can't find it in the urine, and they're really sick, and they, including autistic kids, etc. So when he puts them on the detox protocol, then the glyphosate starts coming out, and they start getting better. Uh, we also have uh, Barbara Royal, who talks about the amazing impact of, of changing the diet on pets and how 50 to 70% of the pets get better when all she does is change the diet before she does anything else. Uh, we have people talking about food, we have people talking about um, specific, I mean, it's very interesting. I, I didn't focus on a particular type of, of detoxification or for mineralization, etc. I simply asked the question, what can you do to help repair from the impacts of GMOs and Roundup? And if you remember that list we went through earlier, it's a it's a mineral chelator, so we have to remineralize. It's an antibiotic, so we have to build up the gut bacteria. It suppresses the digestion, so we need to build that up. It causes endocrine disruption. It's a mitochondrial toxin, so there's certain things that feed the mitochondria. So what I was looking at were people who understood the fundamental structures of health, and I was kind of, I was deeply educated by it because I realized that uh, rather than chasing a thousand things. They had the fundamental types of gut bacteria that could help strengthen entire systems. The fundamental um, uh, systems that needed to be upgraded, uh, dealing with inflammation effectively. Uh, so it actually, even though it's called healing from GMOs (parentheses) and Roundup, it actually was becomes a healing. You know how to heal and maintain health, and uh, so I'm very excited about it. I just completed all the interviews. And I can't wait.
1: So I have people tell me all the time, I can't afford to eat organic foods. I I have to really watch my grocery budget. I'm on a limited income. I'm living on disability or whatever they say. I'm hearing this less than I did 10 years ago. We have big companies like Costco who've made a major commitment to buying, uh, to, to providing for us more organic foods. I think there are literally thousands of organic products for sale. Um, I wish more of their produce was organic, but they're making really, really good inroads. And the cost has come way down. And it's because of your work and others who are just tirelessly educating the public. Because I'll start with the public. We have to want those products. We have to be willing to spend a little bit more initially for them. But I love that we're seeing the price come way down. So I don't think it's as big of an issue as it used to be that organic products are more expensive. But let's assume that there are plenty of people who think that they cannot afford organic or truly cannot afford them, what foods then would you advise people are highest in glyphosate and really should be avoided at all cost based on their toxicity level?
0: That's a great question. And unfortunately, the government regulators that test all these other herbicide residues were somehow convinced by Monsanto early on to avoid the testing for glyphosate residues. And the FDA said, oh, well, now we're going to do it. And then they said they're not. And they said they're going to do it. A Freedom of Information Act request revealed some internal memos between FDA scientists and others saying, oh, by the way, it's being, t- it's being found in virtually everything I'm testing at my house uh, that I bring home from the supermarket, including levels in corn that are above the legal limit. Um, and when the FDA was asked, well, why didn't you report that to the EPA, which you're supposed to? They said, uh, oh, it wasn't an official sample. So they—it's hard to say which ones are clean because it's used so often. But I could tell you, we have in in our healing from GMOs and Roundup. Um, I interview Larry Boland from uh, a laboratory that does the testing, and he put on the screen, um, let's say, 30 different products. Showing levels of roundup or or of glyphosate residues, and the highest was oats. Um, So uh, friends, don't let friends eat oats unless they're organic. Um, That's and I would say wheat and all the all the cereals. Lentils are very high. Um, So oats, wheat, and lentils. Um, He uses the uh, an acronym OWL: oats, wheat, and lentils. Very high. it's also found like in beer and wine, and it's found in processed foods. Um, I don't have the list of what's clear, because no one has that. Um, there are, on, on, the, on the interview with Larry Bolin, you'll be able to see some of them that have lower levels. But the good news is that if people are willing to cook and buy organic ingredients, produce, etc., rather than buying just organic processed foods, they can often save money if they're starting out with a conventional processed food diet. Um, I have a film coming out in the fall called Secret Ingredients that I did with Amy Hart, and it's about individuals and families that heal from serious conditions when they switch to organic food. And the, um, one of the women who's switched to organic food in 21 chronic conditions uh, went away in their, fa- in their family of five, and including her son, who's no longer autistic, she said she could feed her entire family with $20. Uh, if she, you know, but she cooks. Uh, there's also someone that we interviewed for the film that didn't quite make it into the film, and they had a family of six. And when they switched to organic, after one year, their medical bill dropped from 18000 to 9000 and the next year to 3000 so or below $3,000. So um, people that can't afford... Uh, to eat organic may be able to steal some money from their health budget um, if they're spending money now to deal with chronic issues that may in fact go away once they make the change.
1: Yeah, we had a Green Smoothie Girl follower about five years ago who got her family just drinking their quart a day of green smoothie and just making some Whole Foods changes. And then they tracked how much they were spending on health care. Uh, The year before, and then that year, and their healthcare costs had plummeted, and they were pretty self-funded when it came to their their uh, healthcare, and so they literally saved thousands of dollars in that year. And why not put why not put that money into or take a leap of faith to spend more money on whole, organic, mostly plant foods? You know, I'm I often try to convince my audience of this that that a whole foods, mostly plant-based diet like I was raised on is actually the cheapest diet there is unless maybe it might be rivaled by the dollar menu if you're eating off the dollar menu, but then you're just going to pay and pay and pay when it comes to, you know, all the catastrophic things that are going to happen to your health. So you can choose to spend it on food or you can choose to send it on healthcare. And it's pretty miserable to spend it on healthcare. You know, you know
0: what, some of the uh, comments that I've gotten from these 18 interviews, several people said, including Michelle Perro, who started, um, She's a pediatrician, and she's one of the top pediatricians in the country, named that for several years. Um, she says, and others, that if you put pers- people on the good diet, sometimes you don't need to do anything else. But if, you don't, if they don't go on the good diet, then the other things don't necessarily work. Um, so this is, it's a very interesting that if you take certain supplements and you take certain procedures, but you're still eating GMOs and Roundup, the other things may not be very effective they may start to be effective when you're not continually exposing your body to these uh, dangerous uh, substances.
1: Yeah. And like we were alluding to earlier, when you're eating GMOs and Roundup, you're buying foods that were made by food manufacturers who, who know that you're not the kind of person who cares about that. And you're a lot more likely to be eating a lot more chemicals, heavy metals, and uh, grains and other foods that have been stripped of all the parts of them that are good for you, like they throw away the fiber because they wouldn't want to make you actually have to chew your food or have it be dense at all. You know they're going to make it light and airy and throw away the fiber and throw away the the germ in the grain, which is where all the you know B vitamins are and many other nutrients. And so you're you're not when you're eating GMO foods and foods sprayed with Roundup, you're getting a lot. More than just the exposure and the toxicity of those two issues, you're you're getting like a ten times that in in other issues that come come along with those same foods. So we, it's like you just said, it's so foundational. You cannot take a supplement and not change your diet. The diet has to be there. It has to be the foundation of
0: good health, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's what I'll say. That I'll say absolutely is what others have said who are in practice who have seen thousands of patients, and that's their experience. Um, I'm I'm cautious to not weigh in with opinion outside my area of expertise, um, but I've having interviewed the experts, I can say uh, it's a consensus.
1: So, in addition to changing their diet, what more can someone do to heal from the many years of exposure to GMO foods before they knew better?
0: Well, if I compile uh, a picture from just some of the recommendations, um, well, one person that. Tom O'Brien, he has a, a a supplement that he's developed that breaks down sixty percent of the BT toxin insecticide found in GM corn while it's still in the stomach. Now that same thing also breaks down all the top eight allergens before it leaves the stomach, but BT toxin is resistant. so So there's things you can do that in case there's accidental exposure to reduce its impact. Um, there's if you were to look at the the general lifestyle presented and the general recommendations by the eighteen, experts it's too much for any individual to do and there's not they're not necessarily the same the same protocol two people talk about infrared saunas but they have different protocols some people one one of them Dietrich Klingart talked about taking chlorella a few hours before so that when the when the toxins get liberated from the infrared sauna then they get bound to the chlorella and taken out through the the elimination system Uh, whereas Lee Cowden has a program for cleaning the lymph afterwards by doing rebounder and and the qi machine, and that's just the the physical stuff. But there's also, uh, if you listen to Julie Daneluk, she has specific fruits and vegetables that she recommends to rebuild the way that the liver detoxes in its in its three phase or its two phase detoxification. And so she's got a whole program where you don't need to necessarily take a lot of supplements. But other people say, well, actually, the fruits and vegetables are denuded in a large part by certain minerals, and you need to supplement and Some people like Mercola have a long list of very specific supplements that are key to certain metabolic pathways and and healthy angles. Now, it's interesting, I say it's too much for an individual to do, so it raises the question, are you going to simply get confused and overwhelmed? Well, we actually have, we we help people sort of sort that out in the Q&A, and a lot of people make decisions very differently, or some people will Do a food and and supplement diary and figure out what works. Other people will use intuition. Other people will vibe into, let's say, oh, I love this guy. I love this product. I love this person. I love this doctor. And I want to try what he or she says. So um, my job was not to try and create a protocol. My job was to bring together people who have had success, and ideally, success both in the laboratory. And in clinical practice. So, they had to, so we had some who were scientists, some who were clinicians, and some who did a bit of both. And so we, it's kind of a survey of what things people can do in terms of supplements, diet, lifestyle. And then it's a question of people doing something and then seeing what happens in terms of their health. And I suspect that a lot of people are going to feel a lot better when they try, when they weigh in and try certain of these recommendations.
1: So again, the Healing from GMOs Summit, you can sign up for it to watch it for free during a week in July. But so that you get notified of that when that week is, you want to sign up at greensmoothiegirl.com slash Summit. This is a big question I'm going to ask you, but how did Monsanto become so powerful that our government, our legislature, our executive branch looks the other way? why are we so unprotected from the level of regulatory agencies and people who are charged with protecting our health? And and who else is implicated besides Monsanto? And what did Obama do? Did he help us on this or hurt us on this? And what's Trump doing? Talk about the politics of GMOs and biotech.
0: Big question. In fact, I'll take it even bigger. It's a global issue. As I travel to India, I see a complete corruption of their approval process. In fact, uh, the Supreme Court asked one of the top biologists in the world to attend their approval committee. And he I, I interviewed him and he reported that not a single GMO in the world had been properly tested. It's basically a pro-GMO rubber stamp committee that he was dealing with. And uh, he reported that to the Supreme Court, the health minister, and the prime minister. And I saw it in Brazil, where I interviewed a minority member of their approval committee who said that it's like pulling their hair out because they can prepare a whole long dossier, 90 pages of why G- this GMO shouldn't be approved, and no one in the majority actually even reads the dossier. They just rubber stamp an approval. So as I've traveled to these countries, um, the local uh, G- anti-GMO campaigners informed me of which minister or which ministry has basically been captured by Monsanto, and it's the same case in the United States, where we have both the EPA and the FDA, as well as the USDA. Um, The current Secretary of Agriculture, uh, Purdue, as well as as, uh, the former Secretary under Obama, um, they both were Biotech Governors of the Year, named so by the Biotech uh, Industries Organization, uh, because they're promoting biotechnology. In fact, they wouldn't have been able to be a USDA department um, uh, secretary unless they were pro-biotech because there's such huge sway over agriculture. In terms of of the mechanics of who how they manipulate, um, and it's a little different than how they got there, but how they manipulate is they have the, their own people inside these agencies. So when Monsanto wanted to get approval for their bovine growth hormone, not only was Michael Taylor their former attorney in charge of policy, but the person who was their former PhD working on the on this testing of, of bovine growth hormone, uh, Susan Sechin, she became in charge of the FDA's review. Um, Margaret Miller was working for Monsanto and did research on RBGH and then headed a division in the FDA that reviewed her own research. Um, and it goes on. So in the EPA, um, because of a lawsuit filed on behalf of people who suffered from non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, uh, the F- the Monsanto was forced to turn over millions of documents. And it showed that they had their own lapdogs in the EPA, including Jess Rowland, who was uh, basically in charge of determining whether glyphosate was a, was a carcinogen. And he had worked with, the, with Monsanto executives and was able to help force another government agency to not do an independent evaluation and even said to his Monsanto handler, if I can kill this Research, I deserve a medal. And he and others at the EPA worked to kill the other research. And I have a a letter um, from Marion Copley, a former senior FDA official, to Jess Rowland saying that glyphosate is definitely a carcinogen and that uh, basically accusing Rowland of doing things just to help his bonus and doing things changing final reports just to benefit companies like Monsanto, and even saying that one person that he works with may be taking bribes because she's completely non-logical in her, in her positions. It's completely pro-government. So we have um, smoking guns from within the agency, uh, and we even see that when Michael Taylor was in charge of the policy at the FDA over GMOs, his policy said that the agency wasn't aware of any information showing that GMOs were significantly different but nine years later, because of a lawsuit, we found out that that was directly in in conflict with the actual opinion of the experts at the agency, which said that GMOs are not only different, but dangerous and needed to be tested. So the scientists who have integrity were ignored, their concerns were denied. Now, how did they take this position? How did they get there? Well, it's a complicated situation, but it's pretty, it's pretty comprehensive. They use lobbying. They do um, political contributions. They do the revolving door, as we said. They also give money to academic institutions and then force them to to not do research in certain areas. And if someone does research in the areas, then they could threaten to withdraw their funding. They pay money to the agricultural organizations. And so they basically um, dictate terms there. And the Land grant universities, which they put give money to and, and organize the research agenda, they then give the, the the biotech agenda to the agricultural extension agents that go to the farms. Um, so it, it's a complete lockdown. Even even the I was told by someone who writes for a uh, farm magazine, she said she'd like to interview me for some other magazine. I said, "What about for the farm magazine?" She says, "Oh, we can't say anything against Monsanto because they're a major advertiser." So you get the point. Um, It's basically all of the, they use their money, they use their influence, and um, they also were able to convince the White House back under first Reagan and then the Bush administration that GMOs would increase U.S. exports, which were uh, at a deficit. So the Dan Quayle Council of Competitiveness under George Bush I, they, they determined that GMOs would have no, uh, regulations that were any of any significance in order to increase U.S. exports. Well the opposite happened and we lost exports as a result, but they were somehow convinced by Monsanto. And Monsanto also has carries sway over the media because when something comes out that's damning, they will they will there are experts at basically spinning it. So when Seralini's research came out showing massive health effects, they had their front groups and front scientists all say the same talking points, which were scientific nonsense, but because they continued to say it, then they quickly said, oh, then now there's a consensus, and we, and Seralini's product, uh, research has been discredited. And so it was underreported and underappreciated, and the impact was basically neutralized. They also used their influence in the political scene to cause certain people to be fired or gagged, like the case of Dr. Arpad Pustai, who was uh, doing research on behalf of the UK government to figure out how to test for the safety of GMOs. And when he found that GMOs were a problem and went public with an interview on on TV, uh, supposedly Monsanto called the White House to speak to Clinton, and Clinton called Tony Blair, and Tony Blair's office called the director of the Institute. And the next morning, Dr. Arpad Pustai was fired after 35 years, silenced with threats of a lawsuit, and his team that was doing the research was disbanded. So there's tremendous high-level political influence, as well as influence on on, on informational levels. And with the freedom of, with the lawsuit, actually, that that forced Monsanto to turn over its documents, we learned how it planned to create a counterattack when the World Health Organization declared glyphosate to be a probable human carcinogen. They described how they would ghostwrite scientific reports, ghostwrite opinion pieces, um, how they would orchestrate outcry, um, and it's all there in black and white. And it describes the kind of thing that they regularly do to take over a topic and to change the, the world opinion on it, even though it's entirely unscientific and unfounded.
1: That was a really good overview of the problem. And I know that you could talk at length about the details of each of those ways that the biotech industry that is extremely wealthy and has a tremendous amount of control over everything from Chemicals And what they are allowed to be used for all the way to seeds and the production of seeds and even suing small farmers who are they, they want to control the entire uh, seed uh, inventory of the world um, so that. You know, that's just, um, that would just be majorly profitable for them if nobody can get seeds if it's not through them. And then they also control uh, what the seed actually is. This isn't intended to depress you all, my amazing listeners. This is intended to help you understand that your government isn't likely to protect you anytime soon from GMOs and Roundup. However, the work of Jeffrey Smith has made all of us more aware of the potential impacts on our health of having so many genetically modified modified foods in our food supply and other products um, as well as more under development. Do you know what the next crops are that they want to genetically modify and why haven't they worked? Why haven't they done anything with wheat?
0: Well, originally they wanted to introduce wheat, but the backlash against the GMO corn convinced the wheat growers to not do it. But then they infiltrated the major wheat organizations as they do so well. And now these wheat organizations are saying we want to genetically engineered wheat. So um, part of the issue, part of the containment strategy for us is as long as we have export partners that refuse to take GMOs, then we the US uh, crop would suffer because if if Europe doesn't want to take the GMO wheat, well there's going to be a cross-pollination, there's going to be contamination. And all of a sudden, there'll be a reduction in sales overseas. And so there's a a big effort to not introduce it to protect exports. Um, But now in the United States, there's actually not just exports, but there is a tipping point going on uh, because we've been educating people about the health dangers so that many of the major food companies are now saying non-GMO. Ideally, we want them to use the non-GMO project label so that it's a very specific public standard with third-party inspections and testing, but uh, sometimes they'll just self-certify, and we don't even know what their criteria are. So, but in 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 any case, many many of them are becoming non-GMO, and we see that the tipping point is underway, which is very good news. So that in terms of the future GMOs, um, the biotech industry's plans for to genetically engineer. All the seeds, and then they want to also now introduce all of the the livestock and the grasses and the trees and the fish and the insects and um, algae and fungi and bacteria. They want to replace nature. They want to eliminate the products of the billions of years of evolution and replace it with patented designer organisms and designer genes, so that they can make money. So there's a kind of a gold rush going on into the DNA where 24-7 there's machines that are going and characterizing different genes and their their capabilities and patents being filed um, because of the, the intellectual property laws, which have been written by Monsanto and the biotech industry, uh, favor them to basically have an exclusive capacity to market their products during the time that the patent is in force. So they're rushing things to the market or want to long before the science is ready in order to Uh, fulfill the window of, of opportunity while they have patents going. Now, the biggest issue coming forward is the gene editing. Gene editing is the newer generation of genetic engineering where instead of transferring genes from one species to another using a gene gun and literally shooting the genes into a plate of cells or infecting it with bacteria, they'll go in with more precise techniques that hunt and find different sequences in the DNA, and then make a cut. And then it'll be rejoined at that point, or sometimes there's an insertion of new material. Now, just like when GMOs in their first generation were introduced 22 years ago, the biotech industry claimed that it was so precise and predictive that it shouldn't be subject to regulation. Well, it turns out it was very imprecise and very dangerous and had massive collateral damage. So now with the gene editing techniques like CRISPR-Cas9, they're just dusting off the same arguments. But if you look at the research, it turns out it also causes massive collateral damage and unpredicted side effects and will cut at various places. And there could be dozens or hundreds or thousands of different uh, mutations that are unaccounted for. And so the problem is that because they saw the backlash against GMOs, they're now trying to convince the governments that gene editing Should be a a loophole that it shouldn't even be considered a GMO, it should be considered breeding, and that it should have no regulatory oversight, no requirements for reporting. And if something isn't patented, then we wouldn't even know if it was edited, and we could end up with a gene edited gene pool of virtually everything that we're facing, everything that has DNA, because it's basically a gold rush to try and make a change uh, and sell a new, improved version of nature. Now, if this is a huge threat, it could reverse all the benefits, all the progress we've made so far with more than half of Americans concerned about the dangers of GMOs, and they're spinning the science like they know how to do. So here's the message to your audience. Uh, Gene editing is genetically engineering, genetic engineering. It is not safe. It is not predictable. It is not ready for prime time. Now, at the Institute for Responsible Technology, which I founded, we are uh, not against genetic engineering in all applications. We're not against the use of GMOs for science, for research. We're not against human genetic engineering where it is non-inheritable, where it's just to, uh, to, to fix a defective gene in an individual but has no effect on the species. It's a contained use with, with, conform, with consent but we are against the uncontained use in two ways. That is the use of GMOs in the food supply in any way, because it's an unpredictable uh, side effect prone technology, and the release of GMOs outdoors, where it can spread and affect the gene pool for all future generations, because we have no technology to clean it up. So this is what we would like to um, leave people with, is that that gene editing and what's so called synthetic biology, these things are dangerous. They should not be used outdoors. They should not be in our food supply.
1: That was very well said. Thank you. I just have one more really big question for you. Well, maybe two, because I'm going to ask you what people can do to to make their voice heard besides you know vote with their dollars. So my my other question for you is that when Monsanto rose to power and has continued to become wealthier and more insinuated inside all of our government agencies that are supposed to be they're supposed to be you know watchdogging our health, the rhetoric was, that there would be higher crop yields and that with their breakthroughs in technology, they would be able to feed the world's poor and other rhetoric like this that made us feel warm and fuzzy towards the towards the motives of Monsanto and Dow and the other biotech companies. Have they even succeeded at this? Is there evidence that they have made any breakthroughs that they can be proud of and that we should uh, you know, honor them for? Or has have those been broken promises?
0: That's an excellent question. It's an important because they've spent $250 million collectively uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s to convince Americans that GMOs were needed to feed the world. So if people have that impression, it's part of the disinformation that turns out to be completely a myth. Uh, and it's interesting that Bayer is buying Monsanto and will eliminate the name Monsanto, and is dusting off again the same myth, saying we are combining together to, make a, to be able to feed the world in the future. Well, the experts at Feeding the World were asked to study it by the UN and by the World, uh, world Bank and many other major organizations. And so they created what's called the ISTAD Report, which was written by more than 400 scientists. Uh, it took years to compile, and their conclusion was that GMOs have nothing to offer nothing to offer their goals of feeding the hungry world, eradicating poverty, or creating sustainable agriculture. They promoted agroecology, which is a kind of a beyond a beyond organic, which can double yields in developing countries, whereas the average GMO does not only not increase yields, it can decrease yields. So whereas agroecology can double yields, the highest increase in yields that I've seen on a consistent basis was 0.3% per year, but the actual um, seed development in terms of varieties and regular hybridization does even better than that. So they have not been successful at increasing yields. On average, they have not been successful at developing a technology that's good for feeding the world. In fact, you asked about their intentions. If their intentions were truly to feed the world, they would never have developed Roundup-ready crops as their primary because in, in the developing countries, the weeds that the Roundup kills, that's also called food and bio and, and biodiversity. And so they do cross cropping and multiple crops in a field in the developing worlds. And using Roundup is a disaster. Uh, not only can stay the glyphosate can stay in the soil for months, years, and even decades, um, it destroys the biodiversity, it destroys the, the bacteria and, and microbiota of the soil, it forces the farmers to be dependent on chemical inputs. It poisons the food. It damages the ecosystem in many ways. And it ends up in the water supply, even in the air and in the rain, like it is in the Midwest. So it's a complete disaster. It's not their motivation. It's their hype. And GMOs are not designed to feed the world and are basically incompetent at this time to do so.
1: Okay. Very interesting. What can people do to weigh in on this, to educate others, to send a message to policymakers, how can we be involved?
0: Well, we have an institute called the Institute for Responsible Technology at responsibletechnology.org. And we have so many things that people can do, and it really depends on on their uh, inclination, their skills, their time. I would suggest that you go to our website at responsibletechnology.org and sign up on our newsletter. And that way, we'll have new things for you on a regular basis. Uh, We released a film called, a film on pets and GMOs. So we're trying to create a tipping point for the pet food industry. It turns out we have eight veterinarians in this short film describing how when they switch their dogs and cats to an organic diet, dramatic improvements uh, follow. So we have a program uh, that is, we're trying to introduce the same effective tipping point technology into other countries. We have a we're a nonprofit, so we we accept and welcome and invite donations. Uh, we have a lot of programs that are unfunded and are sitting on the shelf, waiting to be implemented. And we actually have been super successful with a small amount of money in the United States, and now we want to spread that success to 16 targeted countries and expand our success into animal feed and and finish The Tipping Point in the United States. So uh, money is very important. And we also have volunteers working not only with us, but also in their local communities, showing our films, etc. We have something called The Tipping Point Network. And we also have a speaker training program available on our site. So we have a lot of different things, depending on if people want to be a speaker, an activist, a click and send revolutionary where they're sharing stuff on Facebook, etc. So there's a lot of things people can do, and I want to encourage people to, it's not just for health, but it's actually, as we talked about, it's something for all future generations and all living beings, because if we don't stop it, then we are we are going to be passing on to future generations a Monsanto nature, not the products of the billions of years of evolution, but the distorted side effect prone gene pool, which is something that we do not have a technology to clean up. So it's it's rather urgent, but it's also an opportunity for people for the first time in human history to have a positive influence on all living beings and all future generations. So it's actually an opportunity rather than a burden, if you think of it that way.
1: Well, you've just been a wealth of information. And my audience would be well served to go sign up for the summit that Jeffrey Smith has put together that launches in July 2018. You can sign up at greensmoothiegirl.com slash GMO Summit. If you'd like to be involved in any of those initiatives, I'm going to be getting more involved myself. Go to responsibletechnology.org. Thank you so much for being with us, Jeffrey Smith.
0: And thank you so much, Robin. And I want to say safe eating to everyone in the audience.